Shona Perkins is a Scottish seascape and ICM photographer and the driving force behind My Beautiful Scotland. Her distinct style draws inspiration from contemporary art and abstract minimalism, a passion that has flourished in her deliberate exploration of intentional camera movement, or ICM, over the past years. Her expertise in this technique has earned her recognition and a regular spot in the esteemed ICM photography magazine. While primarily self-taught, Shona enriched her knowledge by enrolling in the British Academy of Photography, mastering the intricacies of digital photography fundamentals. Despite the apparent artistic freedom in ICM photography, Shona's work embodies a meticulous and disciplined approach, ensuring optimal results in camera. Known for infusing a sense of serenity into her images, Shona effortlessly captures solitude, tranquility and an ethereal beauty, all while preserving her signature style. In 2018, Shona established My Beautiful Scotland, a platform that showcases her stunning portfolio and unequivocally underscores why Scotland's landscapes have earned global acclaim. In this episode, we delve into Shona's artistic journey exploring her distinctive technique, deliberate approach, and her captivating ability to encapsulate the mesmerizing beauty of Scotland's landscapes through the lens of my beautiful Scotland. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day Shona, welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? I'm good, thank you Grant. How are you today? I'm really well. I had a a pretty good day, Got got a few things done. How about yourself? The day's only just starting here and this is what I love. We were just talking about um, you having your dinner and myself having my breakfast. I love it. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So let's uh, start with who you are and what you do, and then we can talk a bit more about why you do what you do. Why we do what we do. Okay, hi. I am a Scottish photographer uh, based in Edinburgh. Um, you might notice that I don't have a Scottish accent, and mm-hmm. um, uh, I always get called out on that one. I grew up in the home counties of England in Hampshire along the south coast um, and ended up in Scotland. My family is Scottish. My dad lives in the, my mum and dad oh. live in the borders and I moved here in 2010. So very much my home now. Um, my background is actually not, hasn't always been in photography. I had a very corporate career of Mm -hmm. 20 plus years and in a fast paced world of fashion retail, I was a regional manager and looked after Northern Ireland and Scotland and worked very long hours, lots of travel, weekly trips to London, spent more time than I would have liked at airports and not for the right reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, that sadly came to an end. back in uh, 20, beginning of 2017. The shape in retail has changed somewhat. It's become quite a difficult space and there was a lot of redundancies happening and I took the chance to take redundancy at that point. Um, and that is when my life significantly changed. Um, I had been working I'd worked all my life from the age of 16. I'd worked full time and I'd never had time off. I'd never had time out of employment. I worked very long hours. Everybody who knows me knows I'm a bit of a workaholic. And when I took the redundancy, I knew there and then I needed time out. I needed a break. And, you know, that that was actually really difficult for me to, Mm -hmm. first of all, I thought I'm just on an extended holiday. That's great. Nice to begin with. But then the reality set in. What am I going to do? 
and uh, this is when obviously photography became a very big part of my life okay uh, I've always had a camera uh, I grew up and I'm thankful that I grew up in the 80s and the 90s before smartphones and even before the internet good god um, and uh, all kids had point and shoot cameras and yeah. It was very much part of life back then. We all always took photos and I love that. And then I have these wonderful memories of my, myself and my sister getting overexcited about spending our pocket money to get our rolls of film developed. Yeah. And then you had to wait about two weeks <laughs> for, the, for the film to develop. And that anticipation of what have we got? What have we got? Let's look at our yeah. photos. <laughs> and uh, sadly, I don't think as many people print photos anymore and it's something I still do and it's something I love to do because seeing your photos in print is a very different experience absolutely to just yeah. seeing them. I, I I certainly think it's one of the best ways of experiencing photography aha uh -huh. yeah I, t I totally agree and when I like to print my images at least day three to see but you see so much more than what you do obviously on absolutely. the screen or on social media. The thing is, uh, otherwise, what are, what are all those megapixels for? Because if you're looking at it on oh. a screen, you're not seeing that depth of, and no. depth of the, uh, the the image. And other people aren't. Other people aren't. And I, yeah, you, it, it's yeah, difficult. You will in processing. Yeah. It's difficult for photographers who don't exhibit, where their work is only being seen online on and on social media platforms where obviously the resolution isn't as good either. So I, I think that's sometimes a shame to not get to see obviously the work how it's meant to be seen and yeah uh, yeah, yeah so I, I just remember life was all, always camera in hand and when I was growing up my walls were just photographs all okay. over my walls photograph collages and I did quite a lot of traveling in my 20s and I remember always taking photographs and actually when I look back at those it's more landscape and views than people and I was never one really for selfies and too many family yeah. shots yeah. and it just evolved from there and it was then when I obviously stopped working and took that break and there were some challenges and I, I probably was suffering with slight burnout I was very in a real it, it, I, I did go through some dark places I'm not gonna lie and there was that concern of like, what the hell am I gonna do and I had a successful career and that that just vanished yep and yeah. how was I going to make a success of the rest of my life? And photography really helped me. It really helped me. I bought my first DSLR and I, I enrolled with the British Academy of Photography at the time, which was, oh. in hindsight, would, that, would I do that again? I don't know, because there are so many other different means and workshops you can now attend, in-person yeah. workshops and stuff like that. Um, but it really did help me understand and learn more about the, the functions of digital photography. Mm. Um, and then I guess I was really in a position that I was very lucky. And I spent about two years traveling Scotland um, yeah. and photographing everything. All the honeypot locations, all, all the iconic famous spots, traveling North Coast 500, but slowly. And it was phenomenal. It was fantastic. And I feel really blessed and really lucky that I had that opportunity to do that. I fell in love with Scotland even more. And in that time, I created My Beautiful Scotland and it evolved and evolved and evolved. And then pandemic hit. And it, that's when 
I suppose it started escalating. Um, uh, I met Stephanie Johnson, who's the founder of the ICM Photography Magazine, and I became a regular contributor there. And my desire to teach and develop started really overtaking my desire to just go out and shoot. Um, And that's, and then fast forward to here, and I've had two years now of doing my one-to-ones on so. Yeah, and it's been fantastic. And the last sort of 18 months has been very busy, which is really great. So I feel very blessed, very lucky. Fantastic. So when did the art start? When did it stop being <laughs> snapshots and, oh, that's a lovely view, I'll take a photo, to something that you said, okay, the, the, there's this thing that clicks in photographers' brains that says, I can actually make something artistic and creative out of this as opposed to just standing there, taking the views, pushing the button and leaving it at that. Uh Uh It's a good question. I get asked it loads. And and I I wish I could remember the exact moment that I started moving the camera. Um, And interestingly, I I do everything now handheld. um, But I started moving and experimenting on the tripod. Yeah. And I can't pinpoint the exact day, but I know where I was. It was local to me. I was at Edinburgh's Beach in Portobello. It was a beautiful sunrise. Mm. And I, the snapshots, as we say, and the landscape photography, and I'm still very drawn to landscape photography, especially the Scottish vistas that we have. But I had a real love and passion developing for long exposure photography. Yeah. Uh, and I'd started experimenting with that. And I really obviously love seascapes. Anyone who follows my work can see that. Um, and I just loved the effects that you could get with long exposure in terms of obviously keeping some nice pin-sharp detail in subject form, but really yeah. softening. And, and it was that softness was also still mimicking the movement um, that I was drawn to. And I was that more, I then just I start, moved, decided well, I'm just gonna move the camera and the camera on the tripod yep. uh, two seconds and I loved I was like Whoa! oh god I love the results this is fantastic and and I started doing a bit more of that so the, my, the beginning of my work was a lot of panning and a lot of just seascapes get on the tripod and when that really started to evolve was when I visited the Isle of Harris and you couldn't use a tripod for ICN in the Isle of Harris. You've got far, too, you've got really dramatic and quite complex landscapes and yeah, mountainous yeah. scenes in Harris. There's a lot going on. It is a complex landscape. And again, I'm drawn to obviously the sea and the, the movement of the water. And, and in Harris, in Scotland, you say you get four seasons in one day. In Harris, you get four seasons in one hour. And so the the weather system's like nowhere else. And the colours that you get in Harris, obviously the positioning of it, it's very far north. It's it's just truly a remarkable landscape. And I just felt I, I need to do something that really translates how this landscape makes me feel. Mm. And my first pieces of work, I've, I've got a collection called Echoes and Whispers which is largely made up from images from Harris, from probably from 2023 to present. And it's probably my most emotional collection. There's a lot of, in 2020, I was still very much in a place where 
where am I going? Yeah. Uh, almost still mourning, obviously, the, you know, the, the loss of the career that I had. Yeah. Uh, and just really starting to understand a bit more about ICM and the results you could get. And I think that's my moment of, right, okay, this is where I'm going. Yeah, right. This is what I absolutely adore and what I absolutely love. And it's just grown exponentially from there. And and now I do everything handheld. And I know that there are literally no limits. There are no limits. It, it still blows okay. my mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Obviously, that personal expression plays a, a big role in uh, what you're doing. How do you infuse your own style and vi- vision into your images? Because ICM, you see quite a lot of that just straightforward panning. So you just get these horizontal lines or the in a, in a forest scene, for example, the vertical lines of the tree trunks and so forth. How is it that you twist it to your, your own vision? Good question. ICM is, it is, it is a challenging technique to master. For me, I always say to, when I teach about ICM, and I do talks about ICM, I talk about how I can quite easily teach the technique that I use and all the processes and all the considerations that I use and apply to my work. I can teach that. But in terms of being able to actually creatively visualize Mm. what you don't see with the naked eye, because you do not see um, with the naked eye what ICM is going to give you. That I find I can't teach because you have to be able to have that. And learning to visualize uh, from a scene laid out in front of you what you're able to achieve is what makes ICM so unique. And it does take a certain, it does take creativity and and an open mind to be able to work with that. Uh, Once you've started understanding what different movements, different shutter speeds, different focal lengths do and can do to an image, it's easier to start seeing a scene and visualise what you can do with it. Yeah, right. Um, And with ICM, you can turn a very ordinary looking scene you wouldn't set up a tripod and take a photo of you can turn a very ordinary scene into something really extraordinary it's a light mm. contrast with my work i have a very minimalist approach to my scenes I, and i really enjoy simplicity within yep. my work yep. i know usually what i want to achieve from each location that i go to i've spent an awful lot of time and I'm, I'm so lucky where i live um, i'm based in edinburgh and i've got east lothian very close which is 40 miles of just beautiful pristine sandy beaches and bays and yeah and, you know, really lucky and i've gotten to know these beaches really well and i think it, that there's something to be said about knowing a location really well and yeah. really understanding it being able to see it at every in all conditions different tides and my absolute favourite beach, which is a place called Gullen. Okay. Um, it, 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 it's known for its golf in Scotland, yep. but it also has the most wonderful beach. And I know where, when the tide is three hours from low tide, it's the perfect position for me. Yeah, it's right. got lovely flat sands. We don't, it, it's very minimalistic. There's no distractions. I, I don't like distractions like seaweed and rocks and stuff that I think can start looking messy with ICM and it's a cove so you've got beautiful headlands so you can do different things and I know that the sea's quite calm there because you've got the Firth of Forth and it's quite a sheltered area 
but I know that you can create beautiful images, which is just about the light, the shadows and the contrast and the reflections. And, and when I know that the conditions are going to be favorable to that, I'm straight there. And yeah. I, I have pre-visualized what I want to achieve. And yeah. it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter how many times I go there, I can always come away with something slightly different. And that's the beauty of ICN. You can keep going back to the same place and come yeah. back with something yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah, one, one of the questions I quite often ask is about the way that place influences not just what you shoot, but also how you shoot. How do you think the places you visit in Scotland have... Can I just stop a minute? Sure. I don't, I've, got, I've got a lawnmower going on out there. Is that I can't hear a problem? No, oh, okay. I can't hear it. It's distracting me, but and I was just like, oh, I hope that's not going to be a problem. Yeah, no, it's all good. Do you want me to start that again? Yes, please. <laughs> <No problem>. <clears throat> <clears throat> so one of the questions that I often ask is how place plays a role in not just what you shoot, because obviously going to a place, you're going to shoot what's there, but how it influences how you shoot. How are the landscapes that you visited there in Scotland influence that way of shooting that you've developed? I think it's like what I've just talked about in terms of the more location or the more of the connection that you have with that place. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also really important with ICN. You, you have to be able to connect with where you're shooting because mm. ICN lays your soul bare. There's nowhere to hide. We, we are showing our soul, so to speak. And so I, I always say to people I teach, you have to be able to connect with the place and the subject that you're photographing in ICN in order to be able to create something magical. It depends very much in what I shoot in seascapes. If I'm at home and I'm central, the scenes are much more minimalistic and much more yeah, right. simple. But unfortunately, in central Scotland, we haven't got the big mountains falling into the sea. But we do have some very beautiful scenes. But when I go to Harris, which is a couple of times a year, I get stupidly excited. And, uh, I, and, and it's a wonderful landscape. And I feel like it's much more a, a playground for ICM because you've got some very challenging landscape to incorporate into yeah, yeah into ICM. So I know that my shooting technique is going to be really quite different when I'm in Harris as opposed to when I'm at home. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, no, that makes, makes total sense. One of the things you talked about as well before was that experimentation, particularly mm. early on. Experimentation almost always comes with some form of, some form of setback or failure. How have you dealt with those setbacks and failures in, in that experimentation process? Um, <laughs> I, I've often been asked, uh, what's the hit rate with ICN? Because it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, really it's really quite a different process to sort of yeah. conventional um, landscape photography. If you're setting up a tripod, um, you found yourself a composition, you've set the tripod up and you, you, you're getting your exposure set and you're waiting for the right moment, your hit rate's going to be much more positive than in ICM. <laughs> ICM, I see it as in ICM, we take a lot of photographs, we shoot a lot. And the way I see that is when I have an image in mind 
and I use the images that I don't get right to tell me what I need to do to get to my design. Um, and that's very much part and parcel with ICM photography. And this is what I tell everybody that I teach. You have to learn from the photographs that aren't really doing it for you and learn from them and ask yourself, what don't you like about it? What do you need to do differently? Um, mm. And what's wrong with the movement? etc. I think it's just very much part of the process and I enjoy that part of the process. I definitely have improved in it because I've been shooting ICM for a good few years now so obviously I, when I take a shot my hit rate is much improved than what it was when I started. But, uh, um, you can really tell when you look at your images on screen with ICM you can see uh, and you can analyze the movement you used, what, what you needed to do differently to improve that scene. So I, I, I always advise don't delete anything and use these images that you consider a failure. Don't consider them a failure. Just use them as a learning block and a learning tool to move your images further. Forward. Yeah, I, I think that process of review was a, a really good tip for people starting out, whether it's ICM or other stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, go, going back and looking at where you, not necessarily where you started out, but different points along your development curve, because everyone travels along that curve at various speeds and sometimes you speed up and you gain new skills and so forth. How has that sort of happened for you? Was it, did you find that a, a fairly quick process or was it something that took a little bit more time? I think it's just been, it's a hard, that's a hard one to answer. I, I think... With ICM, I definitely feel much more confident in myself in probably the last 12 to 18 months. I feel much yeah, more confident yeah. in what I'm doing. Um, and I think it's important to go back, like you said, and, and to have a look and review of where you've come from and, yeah. and, what, and really ask yourself, how do you want to develop this further? I've lost my train of thought. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. And this is where you can edit these bits out. That's exactly it, yeah. <laughs> yes, sorry, sorry. Not a problem, not a problem. So what, what I was asking was how quick or how slow do you feel that process of going back and reviewing has happened for you? Not going back and reviewing, but the development of your style has happened for you. Okay, okay. I Yeah, I think... Like I said, I believe that, that I feel much more confident in myself over the last 12 to 18 months. And I feel that I've really slowed down my approach to ICM photography in the last 12 to 18 months. Mm. And I think that's helped me see much more clearly um, and, and be a bit more considered in my approach. I'm coming away with less images, still hundreds, but less <laughs> than what I did previously. Um, and I, I, when I first started out with ICM, it was exciting and it almost was quite frantic at times, yeah. uh, especially when you had, everybody gets a bit frantic, oh my God, look at the sun setting and yeah. you're going to have epic conditions and it's, I haven't found a composition. And with ICM, very similar, but you've got even more opportunity because 360 degrees around you, you've got yeah. opportunity and I used to be a much more sort of frantic approach to shooting. And yeah. whereas now I've slowed right down, I take in the scene um, and I try to go to a location with 
with that pre-visualization of what I want to achieve. Yeah. I definitely believe that has really helped my work. Mm. It's also allowed me to actually enjoy that we, we go out and we see wonderful sunrises, sunsets and conditions happen. And sometimes when you've got the camera, your face is behind the lens, you're actually missing this wonderful scene. So I, I probably would say what's really helped my work is slowing down and having a more considered approach to what I'm going to do. And, I'm thinking about it before I go out on a, a shoot. Location. Yeah, yeah, okay. One of the things you mentioned was being able to communicate the emotion of the, the scene or the emotion of being where you were. You also mentioned that communication was a big thing, a big part of your life before mm-hmm. photography became your, your full-time gig. How much of your success would you attribute to that ability to communicate? In terms of, obviously, uh, I do an awful lot of teaching online and in person. And and that was always probably the biggest part of my career was developing. I I had quite large teams. I I worked at a distance an awful lot of the time. So Mm -hmm. uh, even before the time that Zoom became a thing, um, I was doing Skype. (laughs) Is that even still a thing now? And I haven't used it for a long time. I think it became Teams or something. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. That's it. But uh, I did an awful lot of conference calls and you, you were you were communicating to a really wide audience who were dotted all over the country. And, yep. and there was also the in, in person, but the development aspect and the ability to influence, inspire people and motivate people on a daily basis was very much what I loved. And that was the biggest part. I loved the people element of my job and that's why I suppose when I came out of that and photography can be quite lonely can't it do yeah it, 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 it's it, one of the questions I ask is do you do you prefer to photograph with people or on your own that's a really good question as well and and I, I'll, I'll come back to that one yeah um, no problem I I feel yeah when I first left my job I was lonely. And uh, I think when I was just starting my business and starting to really think that to almost business plan and like, where, where do I want to go? I didn't have anyone to bounce off um, yeah. with the exception of my poor husband who just got this the whole time and every single day. But going through that transition was one of the hardest parts. But at, but at the same time, I quite liked the solitude of photography and having that time to reflect and and some quiet some, yeah, some peace yeah. and quiet um, and uh, I've, I've actually really learned to really enjoy that now and, and I really Absolutely. love that and I yeah. love that that time alone and back to that question do I like to go out and photograph with groups or on my own both is my answer and yeah. um, obviously I, I run workshops and I I love nothing more than meeting with like-minded people some of which have got experience in ICM some who haven't got any and it's just wonderful to see the passion and the realization of all the opportunities that ICM brings and and when you're out with like-minded people it's like being part of a club isn't it absolutely (laughs) they they get you they understand and it's a really nice shared experience and and I really love that I find it very inspiring and I I always take something away from other people's creativity. Absolutely, yeah. I I, I I learn a hell of a lot on my workshops. Yeah, Yeah, it's just very inspiring. But 
if I want to do serious work, if I want to go out and, and shoot, then I want to do that on my own. Sure. And so if I want to go out and actually capture something that I want to print and potentially sell or add to my portfolio, I generally would want to do that on my own. I have had my, my husband come along with me at times, and yep, but I'm yep. still very aware that he might be looking at his watch or you know, <laughs> yawning or starting to get hungry. Yeah, <laughs> time for breakfast, come on. <laughs> so that there is something to be said about having that time on your own. Yeah. Um, and with real purpose, and something to be said about that. So, but so both situations are, are yeah. quite different, really. You, you talked a little bit about doing uh, projects. Do you think it's important to have projects and goals in your photography? For, for me, it is yes. And I think, yeah, I think for everybody, I think that you, you should always probably want. Obviously, everybody in photography wants to improve their photography and improve their work. I know an awful lot of people talk to me and ask me questions that, that they're keen to develop a sort of unique style yep. um, and storytelling within photography is often one people want to be able to do so I think everybody has their own goals in terms of what they want to do sure. I think for the first couple of years when I started out on my own I was really unsure the direction that this was going to go and I guess with photographers you can go down the route of exhibiting which would is a fantastic opportunity to get to that level where you're exhibiting your work and the best way for your work to be seen. Or you can go down the workshops, the teaching, the online mentoring. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I feel like they're, they're two quite separate things. And I think I very naturally and organically drifted into the yeah. teaching side of it which kind of is inevitable really based on my career of 20 plus years of what I was doing and yeah. and I'm really happy with that that that's moved um, I'm really excited about the, the plans that uh, I have for the future and um, so it's exciting it's really exciting at the moment. um and take this question any in any way shape or form as as you wish how do you find how do you define success in your photography defining success is a really hard one isn't it and i would have answered it this be, yeah it could be commercial yeah, success it could yeah be, i would have answered you know. it quite differently 10 years ago of what i considered to be successful hmm. um but i'm in a position place now where i would define the success by saying i if i am happy and able to continue what i'm doing so for as long as I can continue what I'm doing and I continue to be happy doing what I'm doing and that I love what I do, then yep. that to me is I'm making a success out of it. For me, it's it's not about making money. It's it's very much about I came out of my career wanting work-life balance. In fact, I've always wanted work-life balance and I just never managed to achieve it. Yeah. And yeah. right now I believe I'm achieving it. Um, and that makes me happy. Um, and that makes my husband happy, which makes me happy. So that is how I would define success. And, and occasionally being self-employed, you'll know yourself. Yep. That, that, that it, it's knowing how long you can continue for. There's never a guarantee. Is there? No, that's exactly it. Yeah. It, and, and that can be a little bit stressful at times. Absolutely. And sometimes when you think I'm not going to overwork myself, but then I can't say no to this because... I might not get that. It, it, it might not be another opportunity like it. Yeah. And 
The, the thing exactly. I, I always say to people that are interested in starting up their own business is that saying no to opportunities means that the lead-ons from those opportunities yeah. may end up being closed to you. So you don't know by saying yes to job X, yeah. what then jobs A, B and C afterwards would lead from that. Yeah, 100%. So you, I, I'm an... Like a, a client happy they are going to talk about the fact that they're happy to their friends and family or whoever, and that may generate more work. Yeah, and, and that's critical, isn't it? It's absolutely, absolutely imperative. And yeah. no matter how organised I am and disciplined, I have a very dis disciplined work ethic and uh, I have all these uh, thoughts around, this is what I'm going to do and I'm only going to book one workshop a week. And But then the reality then is when you get someone approaching you and they, you look at your diary, you don't say no. And before you know it, you're really quite busy. But it is about balance, isn't it? And Absolutely. You know, and, Absolutely. And, and that that just takes time. Being self-employed is very difficult, very challenging. Not every, it's not... A lot of people think it's, oh, I hate my boss and I want to work for myself and I want the flexibility. And it's not, it's not, the grass is definitely not greener, but it, it is rewarding. It is rewarding. And, and I, that, that is my definition of success. I, I'm, I'm very proud of what I've achieved. And I'm in a place where I'm happy right now. And so long as that can continue, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody told me a long time ago that uh, the grass isn't greener over the other side of the fence, it's brown because nobody's been looking after it for a while. And if you look <laughs> after your patch of grass, it'll be as green as you want it to be. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> you talked about balance and one of the things that I, I think you do quite well, but I'm interested in how you see how you balance the desire to create something that's original and unique with the need to stay true to the natural environment and the reality of the scene. And I know ICM, a lot of people will go, okay, well, it's not necessarily a true depiction of reality. It's not a sharp, clean, crisp view from wherever it was that you're standing, but it is certainly you, your Isle of Harris stuff versus uh, some of your, your East Coast stuff is quite recognisable in place. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. For me, anyway, that sort of shows through in your work. I'm just interested in whether or not you've actually thought much about how you do that balancing act of doing something that's totally new and unique versus trying to stay as true as you can to the, the nature that you see. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that question. And I, I like to keep an element of reality in my images and I choose to do that. And I, I guess some of my images are more abstract than others, but I, I would consider most of my work quite recognisable. And, and I started out with a, a very recognisable and iconic hill in Harris, Capable Hill on, from Scarista Beach. And I wanted to capture photographers globally, worldwide, travel to Harris to photograph this yep. site. So it is a very iconic site and I wanted to capture it in a unique way that hadn't been done before. But I wanted photographers to recognize it. Yeah. Um, and that image is very special to me and uh, really now probably transfers and through all of my, translates through all of my work in terms of, I want the scene to look like what it is, but I want to just soften the lines. I want to, add a little bit of magical feeling I want to 
be able to show some of that movement because the world doesn't stand still. And when I'm doing seascapes, I, it's simple things for me. I like a straight horizon. The horizon is straight. I like to see that. And I have some OCDs and I'm a bit of a perfectionist, which isn't necessarily a good thing in photography. I often ask myself, what would I be like if I wasn't such an OCD perfectionist and would I be a little bit more free and what would my work be like but uh, yeah. but this is me <laughs> and uh, I fun is who they are so, you know exactly and sometimes I barely move the camera and I know that I'm achieving the results almost with still shot at two seconds yeah. where you're just capturing water trails yeah. um, and I really enjoy that I really enjoy the subtlety that you can create by just really tiny movements. Yeah, um, yeah. And I find, and this is a bit of irony here in ICM photography, I focus heavily on focusing my my images, even though I'm adding softness through blur and movement. I still yeah. think it's very important to have clarity and definition within the images. So I my work does apply quite a lot of work around getting the right engaged focus. Mm -hmm. so to speak <laughs> you, you talked about the balance that you've managed to achieve between life and work now and mm -hmm. you know getting to that level of happiness one of the other balances in doing things commercially is the different hats you have to wear you're the marketer you're the finance person the, the ceo the cfo the cmo etc etc <laughs> how have you managed that balance and how oh my god that been? oh my god it's <laughs> uh oh I, I, thankfully in in the job that i did there was an awful lot around brand development marketing finance That's i'm really, really grateful yeah really grateful of having um a little bit of skill in in those areas but oh my god <laughs> it's really hard isn't it and it uh, is, yeah. I, I sometimes feel envious, should we say, and I'm like, how are all these photographers getting out so often? It's, I haven't gone out this week and I don't have the time in my diary list. And do you feel like that sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. There, there are times when it's, oh, I haven't been out to shoot now for a month and I'm going, <laughs> when, when am I going to find time? I, yeah, yeah. I've got all these other commitments that I'm doing. Yeah, this is it. Plus, this plus is I've it. created a podcast as well, which doesn't yeah. take any time at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I have to say, I think one of the most time-consuming, which which is I do enjoy it, is the marketing side and the dependency on being seen uh, yeah. and having your work seen and putting your work in front of as wide an audience as you can get. Yeah. Um, that takes time. That that takes a lot of time. And there's a lot of channels. There's a lot of social channels to meet. Uh, and then on, on the back of that, you, you've got yourself a professional website that also obviously is a really important channel. So then you've got the SEO work that goes in yep. behind the scenes there as well. And for me, a lot of that was brand new to me and building the website was brand new. So uh, SEO, I probably didn't even know what that meant. And I've done, I've attended workshops and courses and so forth through Google, actually, on the whole sort of digital marketing okay. side, yeah. managing SEO. So all of that, yeah, takes a lot of time, doesn't it? And, yeah, yeah. And it's constantly ongoing. It never, never finished. Yeah. Sorry? 
I said it definitely takes time away from the photography. A hundred percent. And you're never done. It's no. just a continuous no. loop. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that we will talk about it. Now I've got to advertise the next one. That that workshop's shop's finished. On to the next yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we won't talk about accounts. Let, let's just uh, not but, talk about but, doing your accounts. Yeah, that, less that. said the better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> tax, tax time's the uh, the best time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the things that every photographer I've spoken to, not necessarily struggles, but it's it's a difficult thing to approach, is how you price your work. Really hard. Really difficult, isn't it? And. Uh... Yeah, I don't have a system and uh, or a strategy or and I've also had quite a few people reach out to me in terms of obviously what I sell online, but also my workshops and telling me I'm underpricing. Yeah, and yeah. uh, and you, I, I think I am a confident person, but there's almost that feeling of I, I need to gain more experience before I can start reviewing my pricing and then. Yep. It's really tough. And you, you obviously do your research and you look for, you know, for like competitors out there and you can use that as a little bit of a structure and a guide of how you do that. But I suppose it just comes down to how you see your own value. And and, and that, I think, is really difficult. And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Really yeah. difficult. Really difficult. Yeah. And so I, I don't have any big top tips around that at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. Even for things like workshops, how, do you, how much do you value your time and cover costs, particularly if you're doing one where people are traveling and there's accommodation costs and fuel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fuel just gone nuts. In, in exactly. And it's not just, I suppose the thing is when you're doing a workshop, whether it's residential or whether it's just a one-day workshop, it, it's the work that goes into putting it together and then obviously selling it, marketing it. Then there's obviously your time and there's a lot of other factors, travel costs, and there's a lot of factors. So there are those things that you are quite easy to quantify and you can put those in. I actually find it easier uh, pricing a residential workshop. So I've got a number of residential workshops coming up and I find it easier pricing them by building yourself a spreadsheet and you're putting in the cost Per person, your hotel costs, your dinner costs, your, if it's all inclusive, you're putting yeah. all of your costs in. If there's another photographer with you, putting that cost in, all your travel costs. And it's a much simpler way of looking at it. But when I'm doing, but do I do that when I'm doing it for myself? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe actually that is what I need to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's it, it's always a challenge. It's one I've faced myself. I actually just put my workshop prices up recently. Mm. And for some workshops, it's interesting. The demand has actually gone up. For others, it's gone down. So I may have to adjust some of the, the, the pricing there again, you know, just to, to see if we can get a, a happy medium where I'm still getting people in the door. Yeah, that's it. That is it. <laughs> One of the things I'm really interested in is what your most memorable experience in photography would be no, no, that that's quite easy because because yeah. um, straight away um the the trip in 2020 to the isle of harris which very nearly didn't happen in fact yeah. it didn't happen to begin with because we were booked to go in march of 2020 but obviously right. we were there right. locked down um and then we rescheduled it at that point to oh god it was the end of september Mm. and luckily 
I could go, but my God, was it stressful. We were in and out of different lockdowns in Scotland at that point. And then when I got back from that trip, we all went back into localised lockdown. Yeah. So yeah. very lucky to get there. Uh, and due to obviously the timing and what was going on that year, there was barely anybody there. There was nothing open. It, it, it really was seeing Harris how I think people should see Harris in mm. terms of completely remote. and complete, you, you were completely on your own. And it was just a, a myself and my husband were there. And obviously it had been a strange year, hadn't it? And Definitely, yeah. yeah. It, it, it just, and that was, yeah, just a very, very memorable time where I just really just consumed myself in photography and the environment and the scenery and we had some very very beautiful conditions whilst we were there and mm. uh, it just stands out to me and it was the beginning of my first collection which is Echoes and Whispers which is still very important to me as a collection and um, so yeah that, that's a standout that's a standout high for me. Lovely what about the lows are there any horror stories from uh, your trips away or locally? <laughs> yeah I've had a, yeah, the last year, this wasn't a low, but it was a challenge. And, and last year when we were, we go, we go to Harris, I go with my husband every year. Last year when we were in Harris, a bit of an embarrassing error, should I say, on a very windy day. <laughs> and it's very blowy in, in Harris, but on a very windy day, I decided stupidly, let's set up the tripod and do a family selfie. <laughs> and uh, I... <laughs> And I left the tripod unattended whilst, and yes, the wind blew the tripod and I lost my 24 to 70 lens in the middle of my trip. And yeah, to say I was gutted, um, I was on the most beautiful, probably one of Harris's most remote beaches at the time. The conditions were phenomenal. Mm. And I'd left my long lens in the car, which was about an hour's walk away. So I didn't have a camera for that beach. Uh, and it, it is now to, to, in my memory, the most amazing black, dark skies with some light coming through and hitting the, the seas, which turned completely aqua. It was tremendous. So I was very upset and I only had my 70 to 200 lens with me for the rest of the trip, mm. which for ICM, for me, I do 75% of my images are with my 24 to 70. I take in bigger scenes and bigger yep. vistas. Yep and rarely use the longer lens. Uh, it was, I was out of my comfort zone. Um, the longer the focal length of ICM, is, the, the less movement is needed. And given that I use barely any movement anyway, it, it becomes slightly trickier. Uh, it's a heavier lens. The control that I have in my images for that definition becomes more challenging. So that was tricky. Mm. Took me out of my comfort zone. But you know what? I'm really happy that it happened because I actually came away with some very different images, right. uh, much more intimate images. And it's pushed me to realise, hold on a minute, we need to not get too comfortable with what we're using, especially with ICM, where muscle memory and control is so important. Yeah. I now tell everybody, if you shoot landscape orientation all the time, mix it up and make sure you do some movement to portrait. Otherwise, you, your muscle memory will get set in one particular way. And so that's a memory that sticks out. I'm now very careful with my equipment. Thankfully, I was insured, but that took weeks and yeah. lots of effort to get the insurance company to pay up. So that just went into my admin list. <laughs> no. 
Now, I, I recently busted my 2470 as well. It wasn't a, wasn't doing a, a family selfie, but it was a similar thing. The tripod fell forward and so it's actually jammed itself. You can't twist yeah. to change the... the That's the, what happened to mine. Overlay. That's what happened to mine. Mm, yeah. It not, crushed it, really. Yeah. The autofocus wouldn't work either with mine, so it, yeah, was, no. it was deemed useless. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah, I'm, yet, I'm yet to put in my, my, my insurance claim for that one. Well, that, that might take you to six months, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Oh, then there's the, also the excess you've got to pay. I yeah. I'm not sure it's going to be worth it, but anyway. Yeah. Also. What have you learned about the world through photography? I suppose one of the big, biggest things recently and in the last year is to not get to not miss what's happening because you're caught up behind the lens. That, that's been one of my biggest things in uh, the last sort of 18 months because the world is very beautiful and we're incredibly lucky. And I was out on Saturday night, actually. And the when I say I was out on Saturday night in my 20s, I was always out on a Saturday night. But my Saturday night now was out watching and it was a beautiful sunset. And, nice. uh, I was yeah. on, a be- on the beach and uh, I was just it was just I couldn't think now of a better way to spend a Saturday night. And I, mm. I got a few images, but actually just to be out uh, and uh, appreciate the world and its beauty. And I, I know that sounds cliche, but but I now really do appreciate how beautiful the world is. Uh, and I want to see more of it and uh, to have that desire. And I, one other memory that sticks out in my, is from a good few years ago, before I started really taking photography seriously. And I was in, lucky enough to be holidaying in Cape Cod, which was absolutely fantastic. And we went on a whale watching tour. Oh. And I had my camera. And my husband had a GoPro at the time. And we were on a boat with lots of other people. And we were lucky enough to see about eight humpback whales. And they had their babies with them. And they were feeding. Okay, and it was the most phenomenal sight. But I'll be honest with you, I missed it. Because there was me with packs at the side with my camera, determined I need to get a shot. But I actually missed it. Whereas my husband, Shane, he stood back out of the crowds with his GoPro on a big, long stick and just filmed the whole event. Yeah. And... Uh, and watched it and saw it and it's a completely different experience so did I really get the best out of that experience no I don't think I did and I think sometimes you just need to stand and take it in and, yeah uh, photography can ruin a, a bloody good experience sometimes yeah yeah but when you take in a beautiful experience it will only inspire you Absolutely. more get out more to have more of that and then the photography will come yeah, definitely, definitely. Are you one that rushes back as soon as you've uh, finished the shoot, load up the computer and get into the editing, or do you leave things to marinate for a while? That's changed a little bit with me as well. If at the moment, if I'm getting back really late at night because the sunset's quite late now, yeah, sure. I'll load up my images in the morning uh, and I'll load them up in the morning and, and I'll have a quick skim. Um, And that's it. I probably don't have time to then get into editing because we've got a list of a thousand other things we need to do. When I did have more time, I used to, yeah, get really excited back from a shoot. Just had amazing conditions. Uh, I'm so excited. Uh, And I'd often, um, nine times out of ten, end up then feeling quite deflated, really disappointed. I suppose we we forget we're we're looking at raw images, which are quite flat and dull, need processing anyway. But when that experience is fresh in your mind, 
that's what you're expecting to see on the screen in front of you. And, yeah. uh, it can lead you to, I hate them all. I hate them all. And <laughs> I, yeah, I do find I need to look at them once or twice. And I end up now with editing. I, I don't have as much time for it anymore. And I, when I do find some time, I'll go back to files. Maybe I'm looking at files at the moment that I took in January, for example. Yeah, okay. And I find that really refreshing and mm. really nice to go back and revisit. I recently just revisited images from Harris last year and I'm seeing things differently. And every time I go back and look at these, I'm finding more things and seeing things I would have missed. So I think yeah. it's important for people to go back and keep revisiting files and not just dismiss them at first glance. Absolutely. Absolutely. I encourage it quite a lot and do it a lot myself. I was actually looking at, and, and I, I was talking to somebody else recently about why I've started doing this with some of my older shots, particularly night shots, which I might've underexposed a little bit to try and trying to expose for the highlights, not for the, yeah. the shadows. So obviously the shadows are going to be quite dark and, dirty and full of noise well I'll tell you what the the new noise in Adobe Camera Raw and Lightroom that's a game changer for some of those old shots (laughs) I had some shots from a uh, a a birthday party which was in a a, was an underground bar a downstairs bar sort of thing Uh below street and not a lot of natural light and when the dancing started there was only the, the the disco lights going so there's a lot of noise very high yeah. iso but yeah one push and they're clean it's really lovely uh, yeah that it is amazing it is amazing and that said as well it's you i think yeah editing style evolves over time and changes oh definitely yeah. well and i i think it can be really good practice to go back uh, and re-edit from scratch uh, mm. some of your favourites from maybe two years ago. And I, I, again, when I have time, I like to do that just to see, because I know my process is probably slightly more fine-tuned than it was two years ago. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. How do you find it's w- with that evolution in terms of trying new things and not necessarily new tools that come out like the denoise and so forth, but adding new techniques into your workflow? Have you kept that up and do you keep revising your workflow or are you set with what you do and you're happy in the results? I suppose with with, with my work at the moment, the majority of my work is single in-camera ICM where I work really hard to get the exposure as um, near to, as balanced as it possibly can so I can obviously get the best out of my files and the best colour balance, etc. So I do tend to, my processing is quite quick on a lot of my images and and, and I'm literally just fine-tuning using a slider such as your contrast. I often decrease clarity a little bit more and often decrease the vibrancy and and, and have a look at the colour by channel just to make sure that's as accurate to how I I saw it as I can. And occasionally I get a little bit more creative with images where I might do, and I I might do some work with some multiple exposure or I might work with some texture um, and I spend a little bit more time. um, And I do, I do find the whole Photoshop evolution amazing in terms of how quickly it's evolving and what you can do. Um, So I think it's, it is quite exciting for for photography and digital artists. Mm. How do you push past those moments when you have creative blocks and you're sitting there going, it's not working, whether it's processing or in the field? 
I think you just have to walk away. I think I def definitely can relate to editing where if I'm looking at my files, maybe I have got some time or I've planned in some time, but I'm just not feeling it. But you're sort of saying, but this is the only time you've got to do this, but you're yeah. then just, but I'm not there in the head at all. And I think you've got to just walk away. You can't, I cannot edit or make appropriate decisions when I'm not creative. Um, yeah, or yeah. Feeling creative. And I think the same has to be said when you're out in the field, I think, I think I, I haven't been in a position where if I've gone out to shoot and I've had amazing conditions, it's the beauty that just inspires and motivates you. Definitely. Uh, if I've gone out and it's been, we get this a lot in Scotland where you, it's just grey, it's just flat grey. The sky's grey, the sea's grey, there's nice. no contrast anywhere. And there's just this and light And there's kind fog of... covering the cliffs and the... Yes, yeah, that, that's every other day on the East Coast yep. in Scotland. And to be honest, that, that's a lot of people have the illusion that you don't need great light and condition for ICM. You, in my opinion, you really do, 100%. And that's when you have conditions like that... make the image. Yes, contrast is so important. And obviously light, because we're, we're photographing light. Um, so when you have days like that and you go out... Um, then it's really challenging. I've had people ask me before, they've shown me some a photograph and they've gone, I really don't like this. What would you have done differently? And I've had that question a few times. And my answer's often been, I wouldn't have taken the photograph in the first place. <laughs> the conditions aren't there for you. This is not a judgment about your photography skills. This is just the conditions and the light isn't there. So I suppose, and, and yourself, one of the one of the most stressful parts of running workshops is you're forever looking at the weather. Absolutely. And, uh, oh, in the lead up, it's, I'm like, I don't like the look of the weather on that app. Let's look at another app in the hope that it's going to say something different. And you get, because you want the best conditions for the, the, your clients. Absolutely. You want yeah. a wonderful experience. And I have done workshops in conditions where it's been flat grey. And I just... Real, I'm really realistic with them and I just say that today is about learning a technique but you're probably not going to go away with any wonderful images but you're going to be able to apply these techniques to to your photography when you do go out and you do get some wonderful conditions and, absolutely uh, yeah, yeah. that that's what that's about but that is a nerve-wracking time in the lead up to a workshop definitely weather watching <laughs> uh, I had a I had to reschedule a an astro workshop that I was running a few weeks ago because the Saturday night it was going to be on was just rain. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and But luckily the Friday night, just prior to it, and luckily at least some of the clients were able okay. to reschedule with me because I, I said to them up and in, in my disclaimers and waivers section and everything, it, it, it is very weather dependent and we'll, we'll go when yeah. the conditions are right because there's no point yeah. going out there and standing in the rain. Look no, absolutely. You can't see, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the rain, the it's the rain that is the obviously the, the real tricky one. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's no better for any genre of photography, but ICM and it's mm. it's just a no-go. <laughs> yeah. You talked a bit about social media and the need to be across that. What's your relationship with social media look like now? It's important that it's an important part of the business model. Um, mm. really important I do enjoy it I really do enjoy okay. social media and I have a social media account for my dog so I, I okay, clearly nice. enjoy social media <laughs> and I that's embarrassing oh, I don't <laughs> um, <think so. laughs> uh, 
Oh, he's an adorable little dog, so he deserves his own little profile. He's got over a thousand followers, but, yes. but we're not here to talk about Arlo. Um, no, I enjoy social media most of the time, and I follow some incredibly inspirational, talented photographers and artists, and I get daily inspiration. I also get daily envy as I'm scrolling through. So I think you've just got to, yeah, I think you, you've just got to take social media for what it is uh, I guess my relationship with social media is a professional one and I've got so, uh, some wonderful followers and I've made some very meaningful relationships and I, th I think that's a wonderful thing I've made what I would call friendships um, mm. through mm. social media I've learned lots through social media yeah um, definitely but I do feel now um, a slight pressure on the images I post I, I have it in my head that I used to be quite relaxed in posting. Now I'm like, no, they, they need to be better. They need to be my best images. And then you, you do get a little bit of pressure about that. And what yeah. I do. That's very understandable. <laughs> but no, it's time consuming. That's the only thing I would say. It's very time consuming. And I probably spend I, my channel of choice is Instagram, but it is about having representation on all other social channels as well. I'm yet to do TikTok. I don't know. I don't do TikTok. Say I, do I have time for that? No. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to start. Would I, not I, know I, where I struggle with reels. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and TikTok's all about videos, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. yeah. And yet I have a, a YouTube channel, which, you know, I, I don't do a lot of. It's mostly this podcast. but Yeah. Yeah. Video. I, I tend to find myself when I'm on location getting involved in the shooting and taking the photos and trying to come away with good images and all the faffing about with trying to do a vlog besides that. I... I most of the time I just forget about it I don't, I don't even yeah, think about yeah it's yeah I try to take videos of sunsets and stuff and it's always an afterthought oh I must take yeah. a video oh no while, while I'm here I should do that yeah. yeah and I'm also not and this is funny like I'm quite comfortable sitting here chatting with you and I'm very aware that this is going to go out to your audience sure but I will not speak to my phone and put it on social media i have yet to do that and i'm just really uncomfortable doing that it's funny yeah. it's really funny so that's what watch this space because it, it might happen at some point but yeah. as yet i'm not quite there <laughs> fair enough what do you see is the biggest challenge facing photography right now the cost of living crisis for one and it's the biggest crisis for everybody at the moment um i i guess there's a lot of chat around AI at the moment isn't there in terms of what's happening with the, the evolution of that. I, I don't have huge thoughts on that at the moment, if I'll be honest. Um, but I think for people who take up photography as a hobby, it's photography is all consuming and there's not much time for anything else when you get into photography. And yeah. they're very early starts, it's very late finishes, and it's a very expensive hobby. And yeah. I, I feel like the prices of equipment and the need to have the latest bit of kit or gear or gizmo is becoming much more apparent and much more expensive. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge at the moment in photography and, and, and the rate at which, the speed at which, you know, DSLRs and mirrorless cameras are evolving. Um, yeah. I myself would love to upgrade my kit, but 
the, the financial cost of that is huge because I want to move from DSLR to mirrorless, but then I have to upgrade all my lenses too. And yep. before you know it. Yeah. And you're so talking, you're talking obvious, about tens of thousands of pounds um, of dollars, you know. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And then ensuring your equipment to the cost of doing that, the cost of going to the locations, traveling to these locations, and it's got to be one of the most expensive hobbies. And I think for professionals and hobbyists, amateur photographers, um, it's definitely a a massive part or consideration um, within what you go. Absolutely. Where do you see the future of photography going? Well, I think... Who knows when you read into the AI side of things? I, it, it's and, and I follow quite a lot of artists uh, who do a lot of in-camera multiple exposures. Yep. And there's Valder Bailey and Doug Chinnery, and they do some really wonderful work. And there's a couple of photographers I know that have created a beautiful image that has involved up to 35 different images. blend modes Uh, I think that's absolutely phenomenal but mind-blowing a little bit and takes a lot of work and a lot of patience to be able to create something like that so I think there is literally no limit as to where photography can go and I always find with ICM I'm always doing something that I'm like oh my god wow or gaining a bit more realization of why things are happening and 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 how you can manipulate landscapes and light and Mm. it's you're always learning you're always learning absolutely so i I think it's limitless as to where it can go what tips would you have for somebody that's just starting out in landscape photography i think it would be for me i think get involved with the community on social media Uh, i think photography the community around photography uh, in all genres uh, yep. And in landscape photography, that there's that's such a tight community, and these people are there and will help you. And mm. I think that in itself is fantastic. You can ask a question, and you will get that support, and you will get that help. I think for me, I really learned a hell of a lot. Obviously, I had the resources that came from being enrolled with the British Academy of Photography, but yep. I also learned a hell of a lot from YouTube. Just good old-fashioned YouTube, and you can watch some really fantastic videos and watch some awful videos but you will always get an answer you will always get an answer to that, you can learn that question you have yeah and I'm not the type of person I have not read my camera manual my uh, I haven't read it it's that fat that fat and right. I'm like I'm not reading that the, the print is too small if I need to know something about my camera that I haven't found myself I'll just google it and watch a YouTube video um and I think you have to just get out as much as you can, don't you? You have to oh, get into the field and you just have to do as much photography as you can. And I, like I said at the very beginning, I was very lucky and I realised I was very lucky that I had a couple of years of just solid travel and photography. Yeah, nice. And I, I, I learned so much in those first couple of years uh, just by getting out and shooting and making mistakes. And I learned a lot about editing. I learned a lot about myself. Um, yeah. I learned that when I'm underexposing an image that I like, no matter how long I take trying to recover that image on, on Photoshop, you sometimes just have to let it go, don't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Are there any photographers that I should be talking to on the podcast? You were going to ask me that one. Um, I wrote some down <laughs> I there's a couple of uh, I I would say Stephanie Johnson 
Um, okay. She's uh, founder of ICM Photo Mag, but and is very passionate about sharing her passion for ICM photography and does an awful lot of in-camera multiple exposure work, which is just mind-blowing. And her latest work from New York is absolutely phenomenal. I love the work of Joe Stephen. Okay. Um, who's a UK photographer and again, sort of ICM, some multiple exposure, nature, um, uh, floral landscape work. At, uh, and her style um, is just uniquely beautiful. I, mm. I love everything um, that is produced there. And Mark Cornick, yeah. um, he's also English and uh, predominantly ICM, but has got a quite nice diverse portfolio, really. Incredibly talented. I relate very much to his work. I think there's some similarities there, but I think he's got real talent. Um, and another couple would be all Brit English, to be fair. Oh, so apologies. Sally Mason, Kate Barclay and Wendy Bagnall. Uh, or all photographers I really enjoy seeing their work uh, yeah, and I really enjoy seeing I get excited about what they're going to post next thanks for that I've got one question left that most people who listen to the podcast think is both one of the most important but also one of the most divisive questions that I ask do you like pineapple on pizza is that the question Yes. No. I no. It's all sh my husband does, and I'm okay. It's pineapple chunks, not even yeah. slices. Chunks of just no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's like my sister has tomato ketchup with pizza. Just wrong. Oh, that, yeah, I, I wrong. don't know about that. <laughs> no, I have mayonnaise with my pizza. Okay, um, fair enough. I, I yeah, haven't tried so I do that. Like that. No. <laughs> That's, I was, that's actually, great, love it. Love it. I, I was I was <laughs> chatting to somebody on Twitter today about the best condiments with grilled cheese, and they reckon mayo is one of the best ways to to do it. Personally, <laughs> for me, it's the the Welsh rabbit style. Sprinkle a bit of Worcester sauce on on top of your cheese before you grill. Yeah, it. yeah. And yeah, I know, can see no, that one. Yeah, nothing better. <laughs> well, for me, I I have mayonnaise with everything, everything. <laughs> Uh, and, and in our household, we have a little bit of an obsession with condiments. And in fact, our fridge, you can't fit anything else in because we have all the latest sort of trendy condiments going on. It's a case of, yeah, <laughs> a bit of a crazy obsession. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. All right. Thank you very much for taking the time thank to you. talk to me, Shona. Where can people find your work? Um, it, on social media, you can find me at My Beautiful Scotland, and that's my underscore beautiful underscore Scotland, or you can just find me at mybeautifulscotland.com. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Thank you. It's been really enjoyable. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. I hope to see you out shooting soon.